Welcome to Friends of George MacDonald, an ongoing podcast designed to introduce and discuss the author and his influence on the hosts and listeners and popular culture alike. Welcome to another episode of Making Friends with George MacDonald. Today, Dale, Dan, and I, James, are joined by Justin Wiggins, who is an author and fan of George MacDonald and C.S. Lewis. So do we want to start out with some of your story, or where would you like to start? Yes. What would you like us to know about you? Ah, well, I am very Hobbit-like. I enjoy good coffee and beer and tea, workers, parties, nature, books, and sometimes adventure. I live and work here in the mountains of North Carolina. I love the writings of George MacDonald, of course, C.S. Lewis, Irish poet Seamus Haney, W.B. Yeats, Madeline Lingle, the Bronte sisters, and the list goes on. I have an incredible artistic community I'm immensely thankful for, and have had eight books published thanks to Grant Hudson of Clarendon House Publications and Steve Caught of Inspired. Both small publishers in England have changed my life, and I'm immensely thankful. And I love life, uh, pubs, coffee shops, bookshops, uh, and have a great affection for Ireland and Scotland and England, but Ireland, especially Ireland, is my favorite place on this earth that I have been to. Are you from that part of the world there? No, I'm from eastern North Carolina and then moved to the mountains of North Carolina about six years ago. But um, my on my mother's side, there is a uh, some Scots-Irish MacArthur. My great-grandmother Lydia was a MacArthur before she was a German, and I still remember her very fondly. She was a very eccentric, uh, strong lady, left quite a legacy behind. And uh, I'm assuming that from her... Uh, you know, the genetics passed down from that MacArthur clan is where I get my love for Celtic spirituality and Celtic music, the history of the Celts. Um, and although I love, you know, writers from anywhere from Maya Angelou to Tony Morrison, James Baldwin, uh, Neil Gaiman, my favorite writers are from the British Isles. And the reason why I love Ireland so much is because Lewis was from Belfast, uh, he is. He will always be my my favorite writer. And uh, Seamus Haney is my favorite poet. He's he was from County Derry, and I uh, also loved uh, W. B. Yeats and um, John O'Donohue is another very good Irish poet. And you also have Bram Stoker. He was Irish. Uh, Ireland has given the world some incredible authors and poets and musicians. Yep. So, how did you come to where you're at now? little of your story i know it's been in some of your books and things but oh yeah so um i grew up in eastern north carolina in uh the church and uh, particularly uh the southern free will baptist denomination which i soon found myself at odds with and <laughs> although i was thankful to be raised with the theological virtues of faith hope and love by some very brilliant women the culture that i grew up in was meshed with this like a uh, fundamentalist cultural version of christianity um, meshed with the political ideology and i saw a lot of brainwashing uh, and a lot of proselytizing and it was uh, a very toxic theology and again wasn't anything to do with my family it was just the uh, cultural fundamentalism was so dominant in that area in that part of 
Eastern North Carolina. That was all I knew. Um, mm. And then I grew up listening to a lot of um, Led Zeppelin, U2, Bob Marley, Simon and Garfunkel, The Beatles, uh, Enya. Um, and so when I discovered the rock band Switchfoot from San Diego, California in high school, their music really stood out to me. And uh, I was fascinated by them because they uh, described themselves as followers of Jesus of Nazareth while also making honest music for people of all worldviews. And I found their um, their sound incredible. And all those bands and musicians that I grew up hearing, they incorporated those sounds in their music. And then um, John Foreman, the lead singer, had the greatest respect for he uh, started a solo project and he and his brother tim were raised reading their father uh read to them the works of mcdonald and tolkien and lewis and i didn't grow up reading narnia the hobbit lord of the rings anything by mcdonald there was some vague references to tolkien and, and lewis growing up but it never just caught my attention and then uh john foreman kept referencing uh c.s lewis and i had no idea who lewis was and I was a confused agnostic, was struggling with father abandonment issues and had a, just graduated high school and was starting community college. And uh, I thought Lewis was worth checking out. And so I uh, got a uh, one in volume set of the Chronicles of Narnia that I still have. And uh, the creation story of the magician's nephew was a very powerful experience. And it was certainly the first transcendent experience that I remember having being so deeply moved by this myth conveying goodness and beauty and truth. And uh, I read all the other books uh, and then uh, got a copy of Mere Christianity. And what I loved about Lewis is his prose was good. I found his poetry good. And he really lived out what he believed. And I was fascinated with him because he was Irish. And um, although his he did write some fascinating books on christian apologetics they um they weren't the sort of dull uh rationalistic approach to the faith he always showed the limits of uh, argument and uh you know logical em empiricism and uh what i loved about lewis is that he had that great love for myth and for the power of story and then uh i had a gradual conversion uh i found other worldviews interesting but after asking uh historical questions and existential questions about pain and suffering and uh you know the origin of human consciousness where did that come from what about morality what about the desire for the transcendent or the divine you know what's the origin of that um lewis really helped me on that journey and uh i came to a place of surrender and repentance and started to follow jesus of nazareth that changed my life and then uh uh, found my voice as a writer. Uh, Lewis led me to many other writers. And a couple years after my conversion, I went through a dark night of the soul. There was some really dark seasons of depression, and uh, it was terrible. I had graduated from community college, went to university uh, for about a year, then flopped out. And though that period for three or four years was really dark. I almost came to a place of rejecting my belief in Jesus of Nazareth. It was really strange, very, very hard. But out of that suffering came a renewed faith, a move to the mountains of North Carolina, and a incredible artistic community. And it, if I had not gone through that suffering, I don't know where where my path would have 
taken me. And through all of those years, uh, McDonald was with me because before that dark night of the soul, Lewis had led me to McDonald and uh, actually still have the first copy of the princess and the goblin that I ever purchased from a small Barnes and Noble in Greenville, North Carolina. And that uh, myth fairy tale was so powerful to me. And I love the, uh, the grandmother Christ-like archetype. And I thought the story was uh, absolutely delightful. And then I started reading McDonald's other fairy tales and the unspoken sermons and um, some of his novels, his poetry and biographies on him, you know, like, Roland Hine, Victorian Mythmaker, um, some of Michael Phillips' works. And then uh, years later, after that Dark Night of the Soul, I started meeting people through the McDonald Society page, uh, David and Jess- Jessica Jack. Uh, he, they're very, very close friends. I've met them in Oxford on a cold, snowy St. Patrick's Day. And I've been able to find affordable boys to go to Scotland. And they were showing me such hospitality. And uh, so, yes, McDonald has been a great source of encouragement and strength for me. And after I graduated from Montreat College, I had my first book, Surprised by Agape, published. And what brought me great joy was being able to write about my admiration for Lewis and MacDonald in that book. And it's, uh, you know, part memoir written for, it's an honest work written for uh, people of all worldviews. It's not a work of Christian apologetics. Uh, You know, those have their place. But I just wanted to capture my own story and it's about the healing power of music and literature and art, essentially, and the theme of agape love. And I would say that's certainly the most important uh, theme in my life, as I have found. And I continue to read McDonald. His writings have influenced my other books, and I've met some incredible other people. Um, went to a writer's conference in California that Michael Phillips hosted. It was 2019, I believe. Oct- yeah, October of 2019. Great conference and again i continue to meet uh incredible people through the mcdonald uh, society facebook page and uh it's always a delight also to uh introduce people to his works because you know many people that have read lewis and tolkien or madeline lingle frederick Beekner, you know charles williams dorothy sayers chesterton and the wonderful uh, witty chesterton uh they haven't read mcdonald and it's always interesting to see people's response um about that i always tell them not to start with fantasties because that is a very it's a powerful book fascinating book but i've always encouraged them to start with you know the golden key or the princess and the goblin because uh in my opinion his prose and those uh stories are much uh better it, it, it could be a bit difficult to start with fantasties as, as i have found sure is there a reason you're directing them to his fantasy work specifically? Is it because they're coming from the angle of already appreciating fantasy, or is there more of a personal reason on your side that you're directing them that way? Yeah, uh, I would say uh, uh, both. So most of the people I've encountered have that love the fantasy genre as uh, their favorite genre of literature, and also from that personal love for myth and, and story, I can't get enough of it. And it is, uh, you know, myth is transcendent and it's always been part of uh, different cultures. And so it's always a joy to recommend his fantasy works first. But I also do recommend works like The Unspoken Sermons or uh, Diary of an Old Soul, uh, the novels such as Sir Gibby. Uh, I think that's, uh, and Robert Faulkner, I, I think those are 
well and also what's mine's mine um that is uh one of my favorite of, of mcdonald's works and so yes i'll uh usually uh point them to the his, his fantasy works but the other works are certainly worth reading as well i i'm always interested when people start with lewis because i find so much of lewis informed by george yes granted his style was later but a lot of his stuff is reworking themes that uh, he found in george i found that as well and uh i remember reading the princess and the goblin after i read the narnia books and then uh mere christianity and surprised by joy and when i i was so fascinated with mcdonald choosing the uh, feminine aspects of god and using that in the old grandmother as the uh this christ-like archetype you know and how she guides irene and uh, how she uh is this benevolent wise uh good uh archetype and i saw that it certainly did influence the creation of Aslan in Lewis's Narnia books. I don't know if he directly references that in, in any of his writings, but as you said, you know, there it's all over. I mean, you've got the, the mention of the Purdy books and that hideous strength. You've got MacDonald as the guide for the, the character through this uh, sort of afterlife state in the great divorce, you know, modeled off of, Dante's The Divine Comedy. Uh, Lewis quotes MacDonald in The Problem of Pain, in Mere Christianity, um, Four Loves. Some of his um, essays on literature, he references MacDonald and many of his letters, you know, to Arthur Greaves and um, Owen Barfield. And he also compiled that incredible anthology and uh, it was published in, I think, some 19... 46 i believe if i'm not mistaken so yes you're right his his influence is all over lewis and and actually there's um, a wonderful book called the top 10 books that influence c.s lewis and different writers contribute contributed to it i can't remember the name of the author maybe date was it david newhauser you might be familiar with um i think he was a professor at taylor university there in uh indiana and he wrote a chapter about the influence of fantasties on mcdonald and he pointed out that lewis would not have been as good of a writer or myth maker as he was without the influence of mcdonald especially with how mcdonald conveys the numinous and the transcendent in all of his works uh you know that and that correlates to that uh the the german zinzuk that what lewis called joy or the numinous or the transcendent or um uh yeah so that is a very good uh good point and i think that's wonderful and i'm glad that many more people are discovering uh, mcdonald and he's there's been sort of a revival of, of love for his works and he's not so overlooked because i always find that annoying i kid you not this was such a shock i was sitting in local coffee shop here in uh, black mountain where i live and uh i met this uh really kind couple from scotland and we we struck up a conversation and uh I was, you know, telling him about my love for Scotland and uh, love for Robert Louis Stevenson and Sir Walter Scott and Robert Burns and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And then I mentioned McDonald, they had never heard of him. And I was thinking that would be like growing up in Russia and never hearing of Leo Tolstoy or feared Fyodor Dostoevsky. <laughs> sort of uh, baffling, you know. 
Similarly, I recently met a man who grew up in Scotland near Edinburgh to about the age of 35 before moving here, and he told me that he's never heard of MacDonald. Somewhere Lewis says that he never wrote anything without drawing from MacDonald. Where's that quote, James or Dan? One of you guys know where that is? I think that was from the anthology. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking. So I, I don't think you have to guess about that because he said that himself yeah call him his that master. he never wrote anything apart from drawing on mcdonald so do you think lewis and mcdonald have influenced your writing oh yes oh yes uh i find it no accident that my favorite author lewis was uh, you know a belfast ulster man uh and uh mcdonald is certainly comes after him and they have had a profound impact on my understanding of the agape love of Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, they both helped me unlearn a lot of the toxic theology I was exposed to, um, sort of all those wild atonement theories. The What I saw as Christianity was represented as a bribe, uh, where it was like you get this, it was really disturbing. Looking back on it at the time, I I couldn't articulate my doubts and questions, but when I came to a place of being able to understand why I believe, to know why I believe what I believe and could articulate my doubts and and questions and also affirm uh, what I believe and, of course, live it out by grace, I came to understand that the version of Christianity that I was uh, taught was this, you get this train ticket to this celestial theme park so you wouldn't have to spend eternity with Henry VIII. And I just was horrified by that. And uh, that is uh, many people's perception of Christianity. And when I was a confused agnostic, I, I was disturbed by it. And then I finally got to a place where, you know, I'm not buying into that and I, I'm not going to follow Christ so I won't have to you know, experience endless conscious torment. Um, and then I came to that place where I, uh, as Tolkien and Lewis uh, wrote about it, that Christianity was the true myth, the, all these dying and rising God patterns that happened in the first century. And and then that really helped me in my journey of faith and McDonald's uh, theology on the um, importance of obedience to Abba Father in the here and now was so revolutionary for me that uh as nt right but it's like you know new creation starts right here and right now and we have the hope of being in the presence of christ call it heaven if you will and you know the marriage of heaven and earth and yes i do believe in uh in the afterlife and heaven and, and hell i've found mcdonald's universalism fascinating and a couple of friends are universalists themselves and i have great I might, I'm leaning towards that. Um, I wouldn't call myself exactly a universalist. McDonald also didn't call himself a universalist. Probably I would, uh, with where I'm at now, like, uh, be similar to Lewis betrays in the great divorce. And he seemed to b- believe in a, in a form of annihilationism, um, and rejected the idea of endless conscious torment. And th- yeah, those are, of course, those are very, very heavy topics, but, uh, McDonald's, view that uh all in the end would be saved even if it took the purifying fire of abba father is beautiful and 
I find it absolutely uh, a very hopeful view and very fascinating. And uh, so that, and as well as, um, again, the, uh, their, their help with getting past all the denominational feuds within Christianity, the, all those, uh, the, you know, the Calvinism and Arminianism debates, uh, the substitutionary atonement views and, yeah, and they also helped me to appreciate scripture in a way that I never had before, um, because before it was always this sort of, you know, inerrant uh, book that fell out of the sky. And, um, you know, when King James was alive, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, they helped me to have a what uh, a high view of scripture. And uh, I found a love for the um, the liturgy and the Eucharist. In fact, go to a local Anglican church called Redeemer Anglican here in uh, it's in West Asheville, which is maybe a 20 minute drive from my house. So Lewis and McDonald, honestly, without them, I don't think I would be a follower of Jesus of Nazareth. And they all helped me come to that embrace faith in Jesus and uh, also to um, love people of all worldviews and love from whether, you know, someone's atheist, agnostic, Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, Christian, pagan, Jew. Uh, to learn from those different worldview perspectives and be able to have a cordial dialogue about agreements and disagreements and anything under the sun and to see everyone as created in the Imago Dei. And um, yeah, so th those those two great Irish and Scottish writers have helped save my sanity, helped me find my voice as a writer and have influenced all of my books. And there's always something new to discover in their writings and i love also how widely read they were you know they loved the great myths and whether it was norse or, or celtic and dante and uh, john milton and john dunn um and uh even modern writers are influenced by them such you know the late madeline lingle and um you can see the influence of mcdonald and lewis on neil gaiman uh ursula k Le Guin. you know she wrote a foreword to uh a new edition of the princess and the goblin that was uh, published i think it was a couple of years ago so it's it's amazing that they continue to still inspire so many of us and you know there's courses taught on them at colleges and universities and high schools and uh inkling retreats and literary festivals and it's it's amazing i'm i'm really thankful for their influence some of the things you were saying before brought to my mind um, a couple quotes from robert falconer Oh yeah. See if I can refine uh, find them quickly. Yeah. So, um, when you were talking about some of your experience uh, when you were a lot younger and in the, near the beginning of your journey, in um, Robert Falconer, it describes that his foundations of faith were laid with the first article being "I believe in hell." I think that reflects somewhat what you were describing with so much focus on. God being a punisher and Christ being about somehow giving you a, a, a ticket away from that. Um, yeah. Which is not entirely untrue, but is not a very hopeful religion. McDonald would probably remind us that we are sinners and that Christ came to save us from being sinners, to help us not be sinners. Um, no. But the, the other quote that came to mind uh, in what you were saying, and relates to that very idea we were just noting, is it is far more consequence what kind of God than whether a God or no. Hmm. Yeah, great. That's from Robert Falconer? Yes. Okay. 
great quotes. That's a great book. Uh, I actually first read a edited version of that that um by Michael Phillips. I can't remember the the name. I think it's called The Musician's Quest. And then uh, mm-hmm. when uh, I actually met David Jack, it brings back a very good memory. It was sadly the Eagle and Child Pub in Oxford is closed and has been closed for a couple of years, which is a a shame. But when David and I met, um, he signed uh, his translation of Robert Faulkner for me. And uh, I think from what I can remember, I think that was actually the first McDonald book that he had read. And that is a very, very powerful story. And when you read it, you can see how autobiographical it was, especially with um, how the, uh, I think, what was it, McDonald's grandmother or great-grandmother burned his his grandfather's fiddle yeah and that question from that quote of the more important question being whether uh, what type of god not whether there is a god um is a, a recurring theme through mcdonald's works of course asked in different ways or addressed in different ways also um i think it's in wingfold or maybe paul faber a, a, a recurring topic there is when talking about the faithless or you know atheists or agnostics um that that we well he that he had sympathy for their point of view given what they had been taught about god in other words you know saying saying roughly if if i had been taught those things about god i would have a hard time believing in him also and i wouldn't want to believe in him yeah yeah the other thing with mcdonald is i don't think that I don't think he would have discounted the reality and spiritual truth that God is always leading people. He's always there drawing them to himself. And for me with, with McDonald, it still seems that one of the key elements of what he discusses is relationships of God to man, God to Jesus, Jesus to man, and man to them, and man to his fellows. That's kind of the essence of all the unspoken sermons, I think. And And when you look at the characters that he builds, for example, Donald Grant is one I think that we've agreed in the past that we all like quite a bit. And the character that he infuses into him with all the different things that he faces with different characters and so on, he stays firm in his sense that God is greater than anything I now know, and I will be obedient to him. I will maintain walking in the light and walking in truth. And that faith grows because of obedience, not because of thinking about it, (laughs) but doing the next thing. It's Uh, very much about doing the next next thing that is the right thing. uh, That's a very good point, and... I remember when I had that encounter with Jesus of Nazareth and experienced those uh, new hungers and new desires and found joy and delighting and uh, obedience to the the will of the Father and rejoicing that agape love was at the heart of the universe. I saw how uh, shallow um, many of the more, uh, I guess, I know uh, 
you know, Christian apologetics is it, it can help clear barriers, but the danger with that is it could be just mere intellectualism. And as you just said, the most important what and even Jesus of Nazareth said, uh, you know, to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, your neighbor as yourself, and the world will know you by your uh, your fruits and how you reflect the agape love of Christ. And for me, it's been very important to keep it simple and live out my faith by grace. And as you uh, pointed out, faith is a gift of grace. It is a divine gift. And it's important to show acts of kindness and, and mercy and compassion and uh, be a presence for people when they're grieving or suffering or show hospitality and all of those ways you're reflecting the agape love of Christ. And that is, uh, correlates to what you just described about doing the next thing or, uh, you know, not just sitting thinking about it, but actually living, uh, your faith out in, uh, everyday life. And that is, that's brought me great joy. And I've, um, I found that in that context, faith is an epic journey and, uh, love, uh, that we are part of a grand narrative and, uh, um, that's one of the reasons to me, all the, all the myths and the, the stories of all the different archetypes, it never gets old, you know? One of the things I've enjoyed, um, from our chats and from your Facebook presence is how open you are to, um, your discussions with people in the coffee shop and, and whatnot, uh, regardless of where they're coming from. Um, and I think that's, uh, for my money, more powerful in people's lives than here's the set of things you must believe I'm going to beat you about the neck and head with. Um, oh. yeah, thank you. Did you uh, get beat about the head with stuff like that, Dan? Oh, certainly. I uh, was regularly told how I was going to hell, usually based on hair length or my earring. Um, <laughs> oh, my. Yeah, I think it's such a, a ter uh, an appalling thing to say to someone. Uh, and I heard that same shallow rhetoric growing up and, and all the platitudes that comes with it. And I, looking back, I just think, wow, the, those people were, they had good motives and, you know, alas, we, I shouldn't say this, but alas, we love, we must love fundamentalists because we are commanded to love those we disagree with. And, um, you know, it's, but the, the problem that I, now looking back see is they didn't approach uh people as human beings and they had all these assumptions and we're just i suppose it was a, sort of a game where they you know they were getting these brownie points for handing out bible tracts or um you know whatever uh their motive was yeah it was uh and also it's very annoying um yeah it, it's if you're in trying to sit and enjoy a good book or conversation with a friend and someone comes up to you and says, Hey, are you saved? I mean, I'll tell, I'll, <laughs> I don't have any patience for that. I'm a very kind and uh, respectful and cordial person. And I've had people that have uh, tried to scheme and be clever. And I saw right through what they were trying to do. And I would just say, look, I'm not interested. Uh, no, thank you. I'm I'm going to you know enjoy my book and this good caffeinated beverage. So yeah, uh, experiencing a an honest conversation 
with uh, someone who has a different worldview or a similar worldview has been more rich than that. And approaching people as uh, human beings. And I've learned a lot from uh, different people that I've encountered in pubs, coffee shops, bookshops. It's great. I love it. I thrive off of it. And it's um it's definitely influenced my um my writing and the way I, I live my life and live out my faith. It's been uh, very, very rich. I share something with you guys that I saw this week. Sure. Yeah. We've moved into this other place and there are lots of turkeys, wild turkeys and white tailed deer around here. And they're pretty regular visitors. Last Saturday, I think it was, Shan found a bird feeder and had bought some bird seed and she filled it up and I hung it up outside on the fence that these people built around the garden that they have here they had one little bit of a suet feeder we put out another suet feeder but we wanted to put the smaller bird seed out so we hung that by them and within a little while that day there were a couple of chickadees that found it and they were pecking at it and in and out i don't know if you've ever watched chickadees they come in and they dive bomb and they get one seed and they turn around and they fly over somewhere else and they sit there and they eat it. And then they come right back and get another one. They go back and forth and back and forth like that. And the next day, there were more of them. And the next morning, I looked out and there was one turkey standing underneath the feeder, scratching with its feet and pecking down right underneath that seed feeder. The next morning, there were two of them there. And I kept watching them. And and they were just under there pecking and walking around and scratching and pecking. And then there was a chickadee on the feeder eating and coming back and forth and eating. And they both at once looked up and stretched their necks as far as they could, looking up at that chickadee like they were saying, would you please get us some more seeds down here out of that thing? And what comes to my mind, this has happened multiple times, is God feeds the birds. And he tells them where the seed is somehow. That seed wasn't there. The chickadees weren't around. We put the seed there, and he brought the birds to the feeder, like, instantly. It's an amazing thing to me, thinking about that kind of a thing. And the turkeys have been back every day. One day, there were six of them out there trying to vie for whatever seeds were there. And then the deer come by, and they go in there, and they're eating all the grass, and so on. I really like that concept that God is leading. Mm. And if he cares that much about the birds, then how much more does your father in heaven care for whoever you're talking to? It doesn't mm. matter what their belief system is. Mm. And the person who is to you an obnoxious fundamental Christian mm. is equally worthy as the person who is from another nation or agnostic or whatever it is. Yeah. You know? Yes. As, because uh, it a... doesn't say what kind of birds get fed, really. The term sparrows is used, I think, but it's birds. They find yeah. the food. It's a remarkable thing. Yeah. That's a very good point. And as much as we find uh, certain people um, very difficult to love or... Um, just have maybe perhaps they're hard to be around or, or for whatever reason it's uh important that we reflect the agape love to them 
and it's so easy to throw rocks or pigeonhole people. And uh, one of the things that act that stood out to me about the musician John Foreman, especially, is he uh, he has actually a quote. He said, "I'd rather spend my time building stained glass windows, you know, than throwing rocks at people." And he got a lot of criticism for his approach to music and you know transcending the sacred secular either or and uh mcdonald as well as lewis you know they were uh they were called heretics by certain you know, fundamentalists and they still showed uh charity and love towards those people and they weren't filled with hate uh it's so easy to hate and it's so easy to uh you know again box in people and i think if you view people as human beings uh like you just said whatever you created in the Imago Dei and the image that uh, that's very important. And uh, it's very important how you treat people. Um, and that makes a lasting in, impression, you know. Sometimes it's just steps on the journey too. Um, yeah. uh, one of my for friends. Everybody. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, for everybody. Yep. Uh, one of my friends, Tony, from back in the day, um, came to the Lord through uh, Jimmy Swaggart's ministry. I, and I've never been able to handle Jimmy Swaggart uh, growing up in the South. He was omnipresent, uh, but was not for me. Um, but for Tony, that was that was his entryway. So I'm grateful for Jimmy Swaggart, for uh, my friend Tony's faith, and being part of the instrument that led him in. So, And we don't stay in one place. So I have certainly had some faith missteps and I'm going to have some now and we'll have some in the future. <laughs> yeah. 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 At some point you get to the age where you realize that's actually, actually true. Right, Dan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there are times where that does, isn't there. Yeah. We I all get that, of being young and cocky too. So, well, that's right. And the thing about what you said about Lewis and McDonald and them being chastised they understood that because they believed the gospel. They absolutely yeah. believed the gospel. They did. And that's yeah. the essence of all their writing is believe the gospel. And in that, Jesus said, don't be surprised if you're persecuted because you speak of yeah. me. Yeah. It's not possible to not be that way. It's not possible to not be chastised or confronted or, or burned at the stake or drawn into. Read Hebrews 11 of all the things that happened to people that were living by faith. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's not a surprise. And if it's like one of McDonald's statements about, he makes kind of these lists of things that, that by faith, these things are what are happening. And then these are things that have you said yes to any of these things, because Jesus called you to do that. And he says, have you said no to any of these things? Because Jesus called you to do that. And he says, if not, I think you should question whether you're a Christian or not, whether you actually believe or you're just talking about it. That's a good one. I think that's, which unspoken sermon is that, Dan? It's uh, Life in Jesus, I think. I think that's the one, Life in Jesus. He says a similar thing in several of the novels. Uh, let me quickly find a quote. Uh, in Mary Marston says a christian is just one that does what the lord jesus tells him neither more nor less than that makes a christian it is not even understanding the lord jesus that makes one a christian that makes him dear to the father 
but it is being a Christian that is doing what he tells us that makes us understand him. Peter says that the Holy Spirit is given to them that obey him. What else is it but just actually really doing what he says, just as if I was to tell you to go and fetch my Bible, and you would get up and go do it. Do you ever do anything, my child, just because Jesus told you to do it? But we also have to be careful. The flip side of that is if I go somewhere and I'm obnoxious um, and have a poor response to my being obnoxious, uh, I can't use that to retreat into, well, you know, God said I was going to be persecuted. Yeah. I think there's some ownership there as well. You can take anything wrong, right? Everything can be taken from what is made to be good and turned into evil turned into something that is wrong because it's done out of the flesh rather than in obedience to the spirit. So we just have to remain conscious of those things. What were you going to say, Justin? Yeah, I think, yeah, you both make very good points. On the one hand, uh, on the journey of faith, one should expect, as I have, opposition. And um, some people will find you peculiar or uh, be at odds with you because you don't follow the spirit of the age uh and there will be some criticism on the way and some people will loathe you but on the other hand as you were saying dan it's important to as i found a lot of um even uh modern american evangelicalism is uh you know has been paying the price for years of uh harmful nationalism and a lot of brainwashing that's so harmful and they is all these cultural wars are going on and i think that it's unfortunate that all these years and you know all these scandals with i mean uh, ravi zacharias and that pastor from hillsong um the even i was i'll give you an example and i'll i'll not be uh, afraid to say it on a podcast interview the uh, comedian john christ he had uh I don't. I didn't find him funny. I. I think it's this, this sort of cheesy, quote unquote, Christian humor. Um, you know, I, n- and some people find it funny. It's just not for me. But he had uh, been touring, and and it surfaced that he had sexually harassed many women, and then you know made this public apology, and it um, comes off of the air. And then about a couple, I think it was a couple years later, he's back in the public eye again. I think that's a problem. And those sort of things are so damaging. And, and yeah, so you, you both make very good points. But at, on the flip side of that, it's amazing to me to see um, some incredible communities uh, all around the world that are exuding goodness and beauty and truth and that are really intentionally following Jesus of Nazareth and that are helping people find healing and hope, whether it's through, yeah, acts of social justice or kindness or uh, hospitality, um, uh, compassion, empathy, joviality, whatever it might be. And honestly, before my conversion, what really stood out to me was the really seeing people live out agape love and it it's a uh you know persistent uh unending uh uh everlasting and not self-seeking and uh that was really powerful to me 
and and that was with all all different types of christians that i encountered that were uh very very different you know politically theologically but they all reflected that agape love and that and even people of other worldviews that reflect agape love you know it's it's and that's an interesting uh avenue to go down and um yeah it's so you both of you make some very good important points about those things i thought you guys might like this one it's a quote from a letter mcdonald wrote to his daughter it was her birthday in 1891 so he would have been 67 is that right dan i'm not sure i don't he was born in 24 right yeah yep so 67 I don't think I am very ambitious, except the strong desire, and he puts it in quotes, to go where I am. And I know I take small satisfaction looking on my past, but I do live expecting great things in the life that is ripening for me and all mine, when we shall all have the universe for our own and be good, merry, helpful children in the great house of our Father. I think then we shall be able to pass into and through each other's very souls as we please, knowing each other's thought and being along with our own, and so being like God. When we are all just as loving and unselfish as Jesus, when like him, our one thought of delight is that God is and is what he is, when the fact that a being is just another person from ourselves is enough to make that being precious. Then, darling, you and I and all will have the grand liberty wherewith Christ makes us free, opening his hand to send us out like white doves to range the universe. Hmm. That's powerful. I remember reading that in <laughs> letters. Uh, yeah? Yeah. That's a, a very, very, uh, a very shows uh how good of a father he was and uh the the heart of abba father and that that is a very poignant letter to his daughter on her birthday i remember reading that a few times and it begins with something yeah. that i thought would interest you as writing he says i could say so much more to you and yet i am constantly surrounded by a sort of cactus hedge that seems to make adequate utterance impossible hmm. imagine him saying that a proper utterance was impossible it is so much easier to write romances where you cannot easily lie than to say the commonest things where you may go wrong any moment and then later in it he says i still have one great poem in my mind but it will never be written i think except we have a fortune left us so that i need not write any more stories of which i am beginning to be tired that that was interesting too and at that year he still had a few more stories to write he did <laughs> he did yeah that was right after the earthquake so mm. the shaking book was still to come and that was when he lived in italy right yeah. yeah yeah so what are you working on now what are you writing uh so currently i'm working on a short freelance article about different women that influence c.s lewis um and i'm compiling a book i'm compiling all the freelance articles that i've written about different writers that have had a 
profound impact on my worldview. And I'm going to call the book Artist, Myth, and Hope. And I just want it to be a book that will delight people, inspire them, uh, make them laugh. Uh, I'm because uh, I'm a very jovial individual, and you know sometimes I can be serious, but I'm very jovial, and uh, laughter and is very important, and uh, that will inspire them. And it's coming along very well, and I'm very excited about it. I've got a few friends that are going to endorse it, and I just finished. Uh, uh, freelance article on Jeffrey Chaucer. Um, so that will be published probably in the next week. And um, delighted that there is a, a couple of pieces in the book Artist, Myth, and Hope that uh, are um, actually the the freelance articles on Fantasties and The Princess and the Goblin I wrote will be included in, in that book. Uh, and Hopefully, it will inspire people to read those two books if, if they haven't. So it's interesting that you said earlier you don't suggest people start with Fantasties, but you've done an article on Fantasties. Yes, yes. That um, article was a great delight to write. And um, the reason I don't recommend Fantasties to start with for people is when I tried to read it, <clears throat> I was able to make my way through it, but it was difficult. I wasn't used to McDonald's style. I had only read The Princess and the Goblin, so if you compare the prose of The Princess and the Goblin, you know, was it 1872 when that was published through the prose of Fantasties in 1858? Uh, the prose is far superior in The Princess and the Goblin, but of course, on the other hand, what makes Fantasties so powerful is this, this dream-like fantasy story about Anadosa's adventures through Fairyland and how he learns what true humility is. And of course, the, there are many more uh, important themes in that book, and you could see the influence of Arthurian legend and uh, German romanticism and uh, Scottish folklore, Celtic mythology. It's fascinating. So, um, uh, and even when I, I wrote that article, I rec uh, listed other books by MacDonald that are worth reading. So hopefully people will, as I've experienced uh, one friend, actually, I met at a uh, Switchfoot concert. His name is Travis. He's a, a great guy. And, um, he had never read McDonald, and we struck up a conversation about uh, Lewis and uh, Emily Dickinson and Tolkien and other poets. And uh, I recommended McDonald to him, and he started with the Golden Key and the Princess and the Goblin, and absolutely loved those books. And I think he went on to read Fantasties and really enjoyed it. But you know, then again, some people do start with Fantasties and love it. Uh, yeah, that's I, I started with Fantasties, but that is fascinating how did did you find it difficult i i did not but i uh, am a book guy and was already steeped in in literature and whatnot uh so i didn't find it particularly difficult it's very wash over your subconscious uh yeah. kind of writing well um, you are you are the hillbilly rena renaissance man are you not <laughs> that's hillbilly, yeah um <laughs> It is interesting where people start, but I do see in a lot of the Lewis groups, people starting with Fantasties have a tough time. Yeah. Yeah. I've 
talked with people at Inklings conferences who couldn't make their way through it, and it saddened me because there's there's so much to the story, and uh, I'm delighted in it. And um, do you think so many people try starting there because that's where Lewis started? They think they, they hear him describe how it impacted him, and it was his first McDonald experience, so they're yeah. thinking to replicate that, right? I think so. Yeah, and I had a um, actually had a disagree. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, and 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 with the way he describes the experience, it sets a really high bar of expectation of what sort of experience they are going going to have when they read it. And I think as we talked about with Kirsten Jeffrey Johnson on the podcast a couple episodes back, um, McDonald's writing isn't, especially something like Fantasties, isn't meant to be understood in one reading. So yeah. if you have that high bar set in your mind by being a Lewis fan and hearing him talk about the impact Fantasties had on him, you're, you're probably setting yourself up for a not very good experience reading it, my thought anyway. Yeah, actually, yeah, the um, the um, George McDonald Writers Conference in California, Michael Phillips shared his experience of reading Lewis and loving his work and then uh, going to McDonald. And he said that he was uh, had that high bar set for Fantasties. And he um, uh, when he first read it, he was disappointed and, you know, eventually went on to, to finish it. And uh, and I know some people have a similar experience, but like with Dan, when I, I first read it, I, I found the, the writing a, a bit of a challenge, but overall the the dream-like myth was so fascinating and, and poignant that uh, I was able to make my way through it. And you're right, McDonald uh, wrote it in that such a way to where it wasn't about the style uh, necessarily, but the the myth itself and Lewis makes that uh, point in the introduction he wrote to that wonderful anthology. Where did you start Dale? Let's see. I probably started reading Lewis in the second quarter of the 1970s, I would say. And when I got to something in that, and I don't remember when exactly it was and read McDonald, my master, I wondered who that was. I knew plenty of people that admired Lewis and read him. And when I asked who that was, I never found anybody I don't think that knew who who George McDonald. I and mean, I don't even know if he said George McDonald. I think he just says McDonald, my master, doesn't he? You know that spot, Dan? Uh, well, I, I think it's in the, in the anthology. So his, his name would have been elsewhere in that. But but anyway, yeah, I'm not sure. And so when I looked, it would have been a while after that, I was teaching piano lessons to somebody, somebody's kid, and they had a guy who had come as an intern in the church from Wheaton. Oh. And I might have said something to him, and he told me about Roland Hines' book. And I think that might have been the first book that I found and read was his biography i guess mostly I, I remember that reading that book and i had a certain image from that of mcdonald but i still didn't, hadn't really found any of his stuff i don't think and the next book that i remember talking to somebody about would have been in the early 80s when i was at cu working on my doctorate 
And I believe I was in the college, the CU bookstore, and I saw Lilith by McDonald. I don't think I knew any of the names of any of his books, really. And so I picked Lilith up and I read that kind of just straight through. And when I read it, it inspired an opera in me. It was a room. I, I just got goose pimples all over my body again from that memory. And I knew I didn't have the skill to, to do any of that yet where I was as a composer. And, uh, I told my professor about it and I bought him a copy and we talked, I remember talking about it, but that was about the time I think that Michael Phillips's, uh, redacted copies started coming out. And there was a bookstore that we went to that would get them every time. And so we bought every one as it came out and read it. And I, I don't, it seems to me that the first one might've been Gibby. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, they kept coming out and coming out and Shannon and I kept looking for them and we both read them all. Mm. And then later on, she, for Christmas one year, she bought me, uh, I don't know, a set of the Johansson books that was about that rock wide. Wow. And that was the first time other than Lilith. And I suppose I must have read Fantasties in there. That was the first time that I started reading stuff that was in its original form. And I think I read those books all just cover to cover and and somehow started. But what happened is we lost all that stuff in a flood 10 years ago. I had been reading them and I had lots and lots of those books. I lost all, all my books, everything I had written, all my compositions, everything in that flood. But uh, And so I bought a Kindle. And I, and I downloaded the complete works of George MacDonald. And I've, I think I've started at the beginning and read all the way through that multiple times since then. So that was kind of the, the scope for me. And I don't care about that stuff anyway. It's like MacDonald saying, I don't think about the past that much. <laughs> sort of do, but it's not something that I, I dwell on. I know that I've read his stuff a lot for a very long time and tried to encourage others to read it, uh, tried to use passages, quotes mm. to inspire something in people that's taken one way or the other, you know? Have you read Lilith, Justin? Yes, three or four times. It's powerful. I love the story of Mr. Vane going through the mirror to Beluka and his um, love for Lona and how the uh, little ones are re- representation of childlike faith and the stupid giants are <laughs> i guess are a representation of uh, uh the hardening of the heart or, or stubbornness and i found it fascinating and uh i didn't realize how multi-layered it was until i read it for a second time and then when i read the roland hine biography on it he gave a context of how it was inspired by the kabbalah and you know the the myth about lilith and seven dimensions and all these different fascinating uh esoteric spiritual things it's a very powerful book uh very very powerful one of the things i've thought about when i hear people talk a lot about this is a, an example of this or something else a form of something is another Lewis quote somewhere that I, and I don't know if it was something he said 
or wrote that said, well, I, or, or maybe it was Tolkien. He's, I wrote it for the tale. Yeah. That was the comment. Well, so that's how I read that stuff. I read it as the tale. Yeah. And then the things that are in there that are, are light and true become evident. Yes. I think uh, I hardly agree. And like, for example, when I've written the most recent book, Celtic Dawn, it's a fantasy novella inspired by Celtic mythology. And there are certain things in it that a, a reader could interpret as representing something else. And, um, but at the same time, I wrote it for the, the tale and the tradition of all the um, ancient Celtic bardic storytelling tradition. Um, and what's fascinating to me about myth is people have people take their own unique experience and they respond to the myth in a certain way. So some people find different meanings in uh, the story, uh, depending on the context of their uh, experience. And to me, that's really fascinating, whether, you know, and you take The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings or <clears throat> the Narnia books, A Wrinkle in Time or mcdonald's uh myths and, and various stories i've uh, had some wonderful conversations with people who have responded to the each of those stories in very different ways and it's always interesting to hear their perspective and you know what stood out to them what themes did they find um what did they like about it uh, what perhaps they didn't like about it how it has uh, encouraged them or changed their life in some way um those are uh, some very wonderful conversations and they've been really helpful for me in, in my own writing to set out, not with a particular agenda, but uh, you know, uh, as you, as a composer, you probably have the experience you in your uh, creative journey, you are co-creating with God and the work seems to, you do the work and you discipline yourself, you show up, you get the job done, but you seem to be used as a vessel and you get yourself out of the way um, and the work becomes what it was meant to be. I've always found that to be uh, fascinating in the creative process. I would say that I look at it as you have to get outside of yourself. You have to yeah. be more yourself by getting outside yeah. of the little buttonhole or button that you think you are. It's not running away from yourself. Mm -hmm. I don't think composers ever ever do that. They yeah. They can only <laughs> write out of how they hear and try yeah. to express something in a new way that in the way they hear it. And yeah. then that helps other people hear something from a different perspective that they could not have heard it apart from that. Yeah. Yeah. And what I mean by uh, an act, getting yourself out of the way is uh, it's an act of surrender where you are part of something bigger than yourself and as Madeline Lingle points out, walking on water reflections on faith and art, you are in an act of surrender and you are, it's an incarnational activity, whatever, whether you're a musician or a composer or um, writer, poet, visual artist. And it is a really humbling thing because you're partaking in something that hopefully will convey goodness and beauty and truth and that will inspire other artists and delight them. And, and honestly, as a storyteller, what I've sought to do is just, you know, I'm not a scholar or an academic. I just, you know, and some people are, that's, that's their path. Everyone has a different path, but I've just tried to simply write honest, hopeful uh, works for people of all worldviews and hopefully uh, write things that will 
move people and delight them and inspire them and uh, convey uh, the healing power of music and literature and art. Because for me on my journey, uh, how I came uh, to faith was through the power of music. It started with the musician and, and then, you know, other writers and, um, and then different films and, and visual art. And that's, uh, that's been my journey though. Every artist has a, a different, uh, approach which i think is uh, uh wonderful is there a particular character that you identify with in mcdonald justin that when you read him you say yeah that's i could see myself sort of that way oh yes a uh, few examples i give one is the honest doubt of curdy in the princess and the goblin uh struggle a lot with uh, the tension between doubt and faith and I find the part in the story where Curdy is told about the grandmother by Irene and then you know he goes to see her and there's there's nothing there and then Irene is distraught by it and then when she is approached by the grandmother the grandmother conveys to her that it's important to understand people and to meet them where they are and then gradually, <laughs> Kurt, the seeds of faith are sown in Curdie's mind and heart. And I love how McDonald is writing about honest doubt in that character. And uh, I found that in so I find that in my uh, journey of faith that my doubts have strengthened my faith. And there's always room for doubt. I've never come to a place where I don't have any doubt. Uh, and yeah, you're never going to. No, no. You said there were other characters that you identify with? Uh, yes. Uh, Diamond and at the back of the North Wind, you know, when he's going on this journey with the North Wind and doesn't quite understand and, um, is troubled by things, especially with the part of the book where she sinks the ship and um, he raises difficult questions for him and he doesn't understand why. And McDonald never gives a, uh, some you know answer like the riddle of the Sphinx. Um, I think that's something many people can identify with. And that's, you know, that, that young diamond asking the existential questions also, um, but trusting in, uh, uh, in the, the north wind and that that ending of the book is uh brought tears to the eyes when i first read it very powerful um and also in uh um robert faulkner's antagonism towards the calvinism of his grandmother um i felt that same thing when i grew up in the southern Fruit baptist theology and and i know mcdonald was capturing the what it was like growing up in staunch hyper Calvinistic Presbyterian Scotland at the time. And um, I love how Robert Faulkner rejects his grandmother's Calvinistic theology while at the same time he sees that she does belong to Christ and she's created in the image of Christ. And he, he doesn't hate her. He doesn't loathe her. He, he doesn't agree with her, her theology, but he still loves her for who she is. And, uh, that was really important for me, especially after my conversion, because 
uh, I found that I didn't have uh, the time or energy for uh, expressing hate or, uh, you know, or throwing rocks at people because that is not reflecting uh, agape love. And uh, I really identify with Robert Faulkner's uh, journey as well because it goes through a lot of agony and uh and father abandonment struggles and i i relate to that um and actually the uh the root of uh my agnosticism or one of the roots of it was uh father abandonment struggles but um yeah and then of course that wound uh allowed me to uh embrace faith or was one of the reasons why i was able to embrace uh faith for his um before i wasn't quite sure if there was a good and loving creator that cared about all of humanity. Cause if your biological father is not, uh, there, it's those, uh, doubts, um, uh, about any sort of claim like that. And it took me quite some time to, uh, you know, let go of, um, let go of things and to move on with my life. Thank you for sharing that. Would you like to share a favorite quote with us? Perhaps I could read a favorite short poem from McDonald. My oh, favorite. Perfect. Book, that would be awesome. Uh, Diary of an Old Soul uh, is my favorite book by McDonald. It's very personal and uh, very powerful book. And uh, my favorite poem from the book comes from the entry for October 27. And McDonald says, take from me leisure all familiar places take all the lovely things of earth and air take from me books take all my precious faces take words melodious in their song for linking take scents and sounds and all that outside fair draw near taking end to my sober thinking thou bringest them near all and ready to my prayer for me that is a very powerful poem about all the good sacramental things in the here and now that make this life such a uh, a gift uh, that is a reminder that this life is a, is a great gift all of those things that he describes in that and the, the present um, and being in the present and they're all the good sacramental things and uh, are a glimpse of the marriage of, of heaven and, and earth as well so I, I really like that poem it's very powerful awesome and mcdonald had a glorious beard he had a great uh, Scottish, he had a great Scottish beard. Are you gonna no shave November? You know, I might. That would be incredibly amusing if I grew my beard out. I would look more like one of the dwarves than a, a hobbit. That would be incredibly amusing. <laughs> I have a group of us at work that are talking about doing that. So these might get scruffier to look at as we go. Dale got a head start on us. Great. <laughs> Well, thank you very much for joining us, Justin, and I hope yeah. you have a great rest of your day. You as Thanks, well. Thank you. thank you for having me on for your time, and hope you guys have a very good Thursday and a good week. Salancha. We want to thank everyone for joining us for this installment of Making Friends with George McDonald. Please join us next time where we'll discuss all things GM. Talk to you then. Bye.